Today's episode is all about thinking like a reporter. Many of us have to meet and present virtually, basically to a camera. So we thought we'd talk to a pro, an on-camera reporter. Speaking of virtual, register for our May 7th, 2020 travel-free public workshop at storytellingwithdata.com slash public dash workshops. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Storytelling with Data, the podcast where listeners around the world learn to be better storytellers and presenters with best-selling author, speaker, and workshop guru, Cole Nussbaumer Nafflick. We'll cover a wide range of topics that will help you effectively show and tell your data stories. So get ready to separate yourself from the mess of 3D exploding pie charts and deliver knockout presentations. And with that, here's Cole. As we talked about in our last podcast, working from home with storytelling with data, our team has always worked as a distributed home or in a coffee shop or shared workspace organization. We've also been for over a year now focusing on ways to reach a wider audience through virtual live VC-based learning options, including webinars, live streams, and more recently, half-day virtual workshops for organizations where people who are spread out physically can come together on the screen for a shared storytelling with data learning experience. We'll soon have even more opportunities for individuals to learn at home and on their own, so stay tuned for that. But we're absolutely in new territory here. And our desire as a team to continually improve the way we connect with and communicate to our audience has moved online. We're now staring at a camera or a screen. Uh, Sometimes we can see people, sometimes not. Randy often says, this may feel new, but it probably looks like something else that we've seen or experienced before. And in this case, we're talking today with someone who has been doing this long before Zoom was a way to capture an audience. That's right. Today, we're actually being joined by not only the entire Storytelling with Data team via Zoom, we're also excited to be joined by Kristen Johnson, who's the Executive Director of Communications and Marketing at Wingate University in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the interesting thing is that Kristen previously worked in live news for CBS affiliates in North Carolina as a reporter, anchor, and a producer of a variety of different shows. So Kristen was that familiar face on TV talking to you, but ultimately through a camera. We are all adapting to this new environment, becoming mini reporters and anchors from our makeshift home studios. And just as we learn from each other when it comes to being better data storytellers, we can learn from those who've practiced this craft for years. And so today, let's learn to think like a reporter in how we communicate with our audiences. Kristen, welcome to the Storytelling with Data podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And, you know, We're recording this in the middle of April 2020, and we're in the midst of a global pandemic. So the world's in lockdown, and we're seeing things we've never thought we'd see in terms of the way we're connecting and doing business, consuming media. It's funny, last night, Cole and I were watching Netflix, uh, the follow-up to the Tiger Kings uh, documentary. Quality television. (laughs) And it was conducted entirely via video chat, albeit it was a highly produced video chat. But we're even seeing our local news stations adopt the safer at home position as well, conducting entire news programs from reporters and anchors spare bedrooms. So we're in absolutely unprecedented territory. And I'm curious, as a former executive producer and news reporter, what are your reactions to seeing all of this and specifically in the news media? And how do you think this is going to impact the news media going forward? So, you know, my first thought was that uh, a lot of people can't say no any longer to doing an interview with you because they don't really have uh, a reason to. Oftentimes we would hear, oh, I can't meet you today or I just don't have time. And, and now, well, you're stuck at home. So, you you know, you do have the time and, and I don't have to go anywhere to get that interview. So I thought mm, it may be a little bit easier for reporters these days to get that interview that they need. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily a new thing for reporters, maybe for anchors doing it from home, but reporters nowadays are so mobile and they, their equipment is so compact with their cameras and the way that they can stream video live. And so 
a lot of people wear these backpacks now. They don't even need the huge live truck. So I think reporters are fairly used to having makeshift setups. I think maybe the anchors, not so much. But even before the coronavirus outbreak, we were seeing reporters and and broadcasts moving toward an online platform. And basically, that's just because people want their news when they want it. They don't, you know, families aren't sitting around the dinner table and then watching the six o'clock news like they used to anymore. And so I feel like this is sort of been a long time coming. I think where it may change in the broadcast world is that actually the people that are being interviewed may feel more comfortable now doing more doing more things on camera than maybe they used to because you start to once you've done it over and over and over again you become more comfortable with it and so I think that that may be the one advantage to it. Yeah, and for those who are listening with uh, their favorite podcast app, what you may not know is that we're actually also doing this via Zoom. So the entire team is there. We're watching, interacting. And I don't know about the rest of the team, but you can kind of just tell something's one of these things is not like the others in terms of all of our little squares. (laughs) Kristen looks a little bit more, I don't know, like we might see her on TV, right? (laughs) So it'd be great to hear a little bit about your your background and your journey to getting from all the things that we talked about in the in the brief intro, but maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So I was a broadcast reporter for about 10 years. Uh, my first station was in West Virginia, my second station in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then my third, <laughs> Elizabeth's giving the thumbs up for West Virginia. And then uh, my third station was here in Charlotte um, with WBTV. And so throughout that time, I was what they call a one-man band. So I shot my own stuff, wrote my own stuff, edited my own stuff. So I'm very used to uh, having to set up, not having another hand there to help me. I learned a lot of tricks and tips, can't speak, Um, I've been out of practice, uh, Mm -hmm. to how to make shots look the the best as as they could. I would take a, a tripod stand or a light stand and put it up in front of the camera to where I was gonna stand make sure that it was in focus. And then, you know, I would move it and and jump in there to make sure that my shot wasn't blurry and all that stuff. So it's just little, little things that you pick up along the way. But yeah, I think that it definitely has prepared me for the job I do now with helping market the university and also just being able to communicate well, because it is one of those things where you have to look through a camera to the people at home to be able to communicate your message. And that may not always be the easiest thing. In a camera, you're you're staring down, you know, a, a circle more like this big. And and with the webcam, it's a teeny tiny circle. And so just to remind yourself, hey, I'm looking, I need to look at that, that camera versus looking at myself or, you know, which is which is hard to do sometimes. But one of the things I even thought of, if it's hard for a person to remember, hey, look at the camera put a photo of your favorite person that you're talking to them right above that camera. No one's going to see it. You know, I mean, they're only seeing you or even put up a sign that says, look here, just to remind yourself, you know, where you're supposed to be looking. Cause that is one thing I think that people find most difficult is remembering where to look. Did you study this in school or what prepared you for media? Yeah. So I was um, a broadcast journalist at Elon university got my feet wet there with their wonderful broadcast program. They actually had a set that they had received from a local broadcast station. And so we were able to practice just like we would if we were really there, which was awesome. And then I did two internships, uh, one in um, uh, Baltimore and then one in High Point to kind of understand a little bit more about how the industry operated. And that was invaluable information that I learned there and then learned, made a lot of mistakes along the way, uh, learned what not to do and, you know, hopefully not to get the station sued by the time that I got to Charlotte. So it was neat though. It's, it's definitely one of those jobs where you get to do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally get to do. I have fed honeycombs to a, a black bear. I have been in some crazy situations with death and destruction and storms and um, you've seen the best in people and the, and the worst in people, but it's been a, an awesome experience. There's many people out there who are getting used to for the first time doing just as you said, is like staring at this little little dot. But as you think back to when you were starting both in the, the school and your internship, what were some of those things you remember around like 
the camera and the role that that plays for you? Sure. So I think that the the best thing for folks to know is that you really should pay attention and, and take your time on setup. Whenever I would go in and do an interview, I would tell the person the setup takes the longest. The interview will be five to 10 minutes. The setup will take a little bit longer. So you always wanted to account for that. When I was setting up for today, normally I'm upstairs on a computer there and it's just Zoom chats with my coworkers and I'm not worried about so much about the setup. But when I moved it downstairs, it probably took me a good 30 minutes just to figure out where did I want to have the laptop, you know? So, I mean, definitely allow yourself to have time. And Kristen, what are you what are you thinking about as you're making some of those decisions? So, right, if we take the where do you put your laptop, what sort of factors are you taking into account? Yeah, so um, that's a very good question. A, a lot of things. So first, I think I start with just the position. So you don't want to have too much headroom. You don't want to have too much room to one side or the other. You want to be in this instance. And I always say there's always exceptions to the rule, but you want to be in the middle and and so that you're able to look at the camera pretty much straight on and you want to have the the laptop high enough that you are looking straight on versus if the cam- if it's up like this or down too much you want to make sure it's pretty much eye level and so to get that I, I can share my screen in a little bit but you'll see how my setup is pretty much I've I've had to lift it up with two boxes to be able to get it in, in line and you you don't want too much headroom. So this is me actually sitting back in the chair and you see, you can see the headroom right there and you want to just be able to have just a little bit, not too much, not, and you also don't want to cut your head off as you see here. So there's that. And then, then I think with lighting is huge. So I can't speak uh, highly enough of ring lights. And so that's what I have with me today. And if you can see, so this is the ring light on, this is the ring light off. Oh, and you wow. see, you see oh. that huge difference, right? So there's yeah, a so for folks who aren't tuning in from video, half of Kristen's face just went dark <laughs> when she turned her light off. So I have a I have windows actually all around me, but to my left, I have blinds that are open to give me some some light here on my face. And so the ring light just highlights that other side, the right oh. side of my face. They say to have your main source of light either in front of you or to the side. You don't want it behind you. So if I open these blinds back here, you would see how bright that is. Mm. And if I opened all of those, I would be what's called backlit. And that's not what you want because it, it looks like you're glowing, like a halo is behind you. So definitely pay attention to that. I say that light can make you look fantastic or it can make you look terrible. So that is one thing that you really, really want to pay attention to. If I had like a lot of overhead light, you would see the bags even worse under my eyes. Um, and it would be very, very dark. And so you want to try and avoid that. See, Randy, that's my problem. The light's up there. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably seen on the Today Show how, um, or any um, big HD broadcast, how the anchors look so fantastic and just like they have a filter on their face that makes them look so much younger. And that's done by lights that are actually coming up from the desk and it, and it casts this glow on them that makes, makes them look a lot more flawless than if you actually saw them in person. But definitely the setup is something that you want to really, really pay attention to and take your time with. When it comes to camera, are you using the camera on your laptop right now or do you have a fancy camera? So no, actually, I'm just using the the camera that's on my laptop. If you were doing a presentation that you really, really wanted to impress people, you really should invest in a high quality webcam. And and most of them, a, a good quality one, I would say $50 or less. It's really pretty inexpensive. And this ring light was probably 40 or less. And so it's, you know, little things that can make a huge difference when you just put some some time and effort into it. And also then, of course, a quality microphone as well. I just have a little Samson. It was, it was probably $30 or less too. And just to be able to hear a person well and you want to be able to see them well, this is a, a visual medium. And so you want to be able to have those basics pretty much down. It sounds like these are all pretty inexpensive investments to make. Could you go connect with your new studio through the setup you have right now? 
Uh, that's a good question. Probably not. I would probably need a little bit more to lock into that. But in terms of the quality and the lighting. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's pretty remarkable. This is basically the setup that you'll see uh, most reporters use. They reporters have been great to kind of give you a behind the scenes of how their setup looks. And it's pretty much pretty much just like this. I can share my screen right now and show you. Is that okay if I go ahead and do that? Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. The people listening will have to describe what we're seeing, or we'll make sure we post it in the notes, a link to what you're going to share. Just a quick question, Kristen. Are you purposely sitting in front of the window just for other reasons? Like you don't have a blank wall or is that strategic to still have a little bit of light coming from behind you? Good question. So I do like the light that comes in because natural light is is great. It's just sometimes it can be really, really tricky about how to make it look good. But no, you know, we probably have a blank wall. I like a little something. Blank walls aren't bad. I just like a little something behind me. Not too, not too much though, because it can mm-hmm. become distracting. Okay. So can everybody see my screen? Yep. Yep. You guys see it? Awesome. Yep. You see one, two, and three. Those, those things I would say are the, the most important. So how you look, how you sound, and then your lighting that we've already talked about. But if I zoom in here, I'll show you just a little bit about what my setup looks like. So you see the ring light. See, I've got my What we're looking laptop. at is Kristen's setup, which... We'll have to include a shot of that. Sure. And so just right before we we uh, started the podcast, I did take this microphone and lift it up just a little bit. So it's a little bit more, not quite below me, but more closer to my mouth. So there is that. And then I wanted to show you, this is WCNC's weather guy, Brad Panovich. And you can see his setup here. So again, the ring light, the webcam, the mic. And then if you see over here behind him, those sound panels, Now, our house is very echoey. And so if you really, if if you're having the same issue, these sound panels are very cheap. And so I actually have these upstairs if I'm recording anything around my microphone because it it softens the the sound really, really well. And it doesn't make it sound like you're as quite as hollow if you do that. So you kind of see his setup there. And and basically right behind him is a TV and it would have his weather video. And so basically that is how he goes, goes live. And so you can see his, his setup is a little bit more technical. I don't know that we all need four screens there. He has four computer screens, but that is, that is the way that he's doing it. And then you'll see, this is a reporter that I used to work with in Chattanooga, but he's actually here in Charlotte now. And you can see how his face is lit and makes it a lot better than if he was sitting in a dark hole. And then, you know, this is his house and he has his computer screen behind him, a little bit of decoration behind him, but no, it's not too busy. So that's a that's a really good good looking setup there. The things that you don't want to do, I want to show you guys these. First off, don't look bored as you see these lovely folks here. Always think of it this way. Your mic is always hot and your video is always on. And so don't halfway dress, you know, make sure that you have um on what you would wear in a normal day, no pajama pants and all that stuff, because you never know. You might have to jump up and go grab a water or go use, use the bathroom, you know? So just make sure that you're always fully dressed is a, is a good rule. But you can kind of see here how they're using windows and how some of it's working and some of it's not. You see how the one is backlit with the window behind her. The woman in the top left, she looks like she has enough light on her face to counterbalance that window light. But this is just an example of maybe folks who could do it a little bit better because you see in the one photo that she does not have enough light on her face. And so it's very, you know, very distracting to see that bright light behind her and then not enough on her face. And, and again, always remember that you are on video. So try and look a little bit you know, interested, even if it is the most boring thing you've ever heard. We have some more, what I would like to term as maybe bad examples, just how busy it is behind these folks. I'm not a huge fan of the Zoom backgrounds that they have because I think those can be distracting as well where you're in outer space or, you know, (laughs) just like in different environments at the beach or whatever, even though you may want to be there. It just, I think those come across as distracting. So if you can find more of a solid background with just a little bit behind you, you know, I feel like works so much better. And then lastly, 
we got one. These are these are my coworkers. This is just our our general meetings that we have uh, once a week. And I would love to point out here the ceiling shots. This is one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to virtual videos. That that basically is just that their camera's not at the right height or they're not at the right height. So if, if they would move themselves up in the chair a little bit and move the camera down, it would help. But this is a great example of the ceiling shot fans that you don't necessarily love to see. So just again, going back to setup. So hopefully that was helpful. That was great. One of the things that stood out the most was probably around the lighting and the importance that seems to be like one of the mistakes people make. I also noticed though, in a number of those shots that you weren't so positive on, there were a lot of people with glasses and uh, reflections. And so tell us what advice do you give for those who wear glasses when it comes to the lighting and such? You know, I think Mike and Jody are doing it really well with glasses because they aren't, there's not light on them that putting a glare because that can become distracting as well. I know that they do have, and I, I had to have these on my glasses when I was going through LASIK, you couldn't wear contacts and, and had to wear glasses, but I still had to be on air, right? So there's a, a coating that you can get put on there that will help with the glare. Because when you're sitting in a studio, there's no way to really manipulate those lights to get them off of you in a way that there's not a glare. So there's a coating that helps. Then I would also just as a reminder, not to wear any jewelry that could be reflective with a light that would reflect up into your glasses. It also, some of the stuff depends on like the time of day, if you're close to a window. So maybe don't be near a window if it's sundown, I guess would probably be the worst time when the sun's coming in and, and really making a glare you know, maybe find an alternate place to, to work. One thing I'm noticing, Kristen, just as I, I watch us on Zoom and watch uh, some of us talk and we're like moving all around in the frame and you are almost perfectly still. <laughs> Every once in a while we see your hands, but not much movement. I have to imagine that that's on purpose. Can you talk a little bit about movement on camera or lack thereof? Yeah, I think it's just really being conscious about your own body and what you feel mo most comfortable with. I do talk with my hands. You, you know, I, I'm talking with them lower now that so you may not be able to, to see them. But I think it, it's whatever you feel is, is most natural. You don't want to be too distracting. So it's not, you know, you don't want to have like puppets up here. I think if you're demonstrating a point, then then it's very useful to be able to move your hands and, and things like that. I think it's just about not being distracting because you don't want to take away from what you're saying. If your movement is distracting, people aren't going to listen to you. And so you really just want to be conscious about, about your body movements, about your facial expressions. And I think the best way to do that is first off, do as many virtual meetings as, as you can, and then you'll feel more comfortable. But to really be conscious about your facial expressions get in front of a mirror and just talk to yourself so that you see, oh, I really thought I was being just expressive or joyful there, but I come across looking like I'm mad. And, and how can I fix that? I remember sitting in the, in the chair at my hairdresser and she said something and I thought it was so funny. And I thought in my head that I was laughing and, and coming across as I thought that was funny, but I looked in the mirror and I'm like, oh, that is not the facial expression that I thought I had in my head. And so I think it's just, you know, really being comfortable with yourself to look in, in the mirror and, and see what kind of facial expressions you have or, or what you want to get across. You'll hear often that actors have to be like over the top. And it's very odd. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's some science behind it. I've just never, never cared to look it up or read about it. But it is true that you feel like you're coming across as over the top on camera, but the way that it translates is that you're actually not, you're actually just, you look normal. And it's the same way with your voice too. You can feel like, wow, I really put a lot of inflection into that, or that was just way over the top. But then when you listen to it back, you're like, oh no, that just sounded normal. So sometimes you have to take into account that what may feel unnatural is actually coming across 
natural. Well, and it's so interesting. I wonder if it's something about going from 3D to 2D, right? Because when we're, if, when I think of our work, if we're he, in a room with other people, we can move around the room. Like we can use the physical space as a way to get people's attention or sure. make a point, right? We can use our bodies in different ways. Whereas when you're flattened onto a screen, you almost have to do more with these other things, voice and facial expressions to maybe make up for the lack of that third dimension of being able to actually move around in the physical space. Very true. Very true. You talk a lot about, you know, the acting piece of it and projecting and inflection and that. Did you study acting or does that play a role with broadcasters? So I did not. No, I do know that there are a lot of reporters who took drama um, or even um, diction, voice diction, but I didn't take any of those. Oddly enough, I am from North Carolina and if I go back home, my accent will definitely come out very, very strong. But I went to school with a lot of Northerners and I just listened to how they spoke. And I thought, you know, I want to emulate that. And so I did. I just was very, listened very, very carefully. Now I know my limitations. So I knew that like I couldn't go to New York and work or probably any farther west than Texas because I still do have an accent. But I tried really, really hard just on my own to listen to the way people spoke that was not quite as country as I was. So, <laughs> On that theme of acting and lines, what do you do or what advice would you give to those who you know, are doing a presentation? You're staying fixed on the camera, so other times somebody might have a script. Is there, is there any advice you would give along the idea of, of making sure your content is delivered as great as your lighting? Sure, sure. So definitely know your material inside and outside. Um, never try and memorize though. That'll really get you in trouble because when you start to, to try and memorize your brain, if it gets caught up on a word that you can't remember, it's out the window, right? So just really try and bullet point your topics, your, your, the main things you want to hit so that you don't sit there and memorize this whole long text, and then you forget the word that, and you're thrown off for the rest of the presentation. And again, I think that also just comes down to preparation and knowing your material really, really well. I think too, uh, you know, we live in a, in a selfie world. It may even be taking video of yourself and listening to how you say specific words. If you have too many, I call them filler words, my filler word is and um. And now when every time I say it, you're going to fixate on it. But it, the words like that, that you want to take out of your vocabulary because they'll start to become the only thing somebody can focus on. For a lot of people, it's like the word like. I think it's just slowing down, taking a breath. When you feel like you need to say that word, just stop, take a breath and then continue on. But I think the more that you see yourself and hear yourself, you'll be able to say, okay, I know that's a trigger word. I know I need to cut that out. Let me practice, 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 practice to be able to get those out of, out of your vocabulary. You did a lot with content creation. You've created a number of different shows, topics of health and wellness. Uh, we're going to be doing some really exciting stuff with Storytelling with Data, and the team's been working on a lot of that. And we're going to be excited to share that with our listeners soon. But one of the ideas is around generating excitement from, let's say, a teaser or something like that. What, what tips or what worked well for you in the past around really creating that, oh, I, I've got to watch this? What's worked for you when you are on the content creation side in terms of creating interest? Yeah, I think you have to be really careful when it comes to teases because you don't want folks to, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver than when they actually hear what you have to say. And then I think that takes away from your credibility too, right? So we always would say in news, if it bleeds, it leads. And that is that's terrible, but it's true because the more crazy the story or, you know, if someone died that people wanted to hear more about that than there was a, a bunny rabbit that hopped across the yard, right? So I think it's really just trying to figure out what, what interests you when you hear that, like what sticks out to you and you think, I think, I, I think other people need to know that. 
and then just be really creative about the way that you you get that across. A lot of teases or questions, I don't necessarily like love that. And I think that it can become a crutch after a while if you if you can't find more creative ways to write things. But I think that that's a way to start out is, have you ever thought about blah, blah, blah. But really, I think if it interests you, hopefully it'll interest other people. And so find that one nugget of that story that you know you can then base everything else around. And it doesn't even have to be the biggest part of the story. It could just be truly the most interesting though. If, if it's one small point that you're going to hit on, but you think that that would grab somebody's attention, I would much rather you grab my attention that way than promise me something that then I hear it and I'm like, mm, that's not really what I got out of that tease. So we talked a little bit about uh, tips for you know lighting, good microphone. We talked a little bit about generating interest with teasers and such. What about just general clothing do's and don'ts? Sure. So I think that that goes to any video. You don't want to have a lot of pattern. You don't especially want to have small pattern, like the small pinstripes or small dots, because I'm sure you've seen it, but video can make it look like waves are moving and you definitely, that's definitely distracting. So you want to try and stay away from, from that red, blues, greens, those bold colors, yellow, but in plain, plain patterns, not even patterns, just plain colors um, usually work, work the best. Light colors, dark colors. Does it matter what your background is? I think it, I think that always will play into it. If you have on a green sweater, you don't want to be in front of a green wall. That's how weather people disappear when they have on green and they're in that chroma key, it, the background is green. And so that's why they disappear. Yeah. You really want to be conscious about if you are in front of a stark white wall, don't wear white. White has become a little bit more forgivable these days than, than in the past. But before that, you know, it was, it was definitely frowned upon. White was definitely frowned upon, but, uh, but yeah, I really think it just depends on, on where you are and then, and, and to whom you're speaking. The main point I would say about clothing is just trying to keep it simple. You don't want a distracting, you know, necklace or dangly earrings. Kristen, what about makeup for camera? Sure. So again, you could have some really not so great makeup or even really light makeup on. And depending on the lighting you have, you could look fabulous. I wouldn't go too far from what you normally wear. And, and definitely don't try, you know, anything crazy for the first time and then go on camera. For me, um, I know this isn't sponsored, but I love MAC makeup because they have this, and I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's Studio Fix. And so it is meant for high quality HD cameras. And it and really just helps take away that shine and, and makes you look just a little bit more flawless. I do put on makeup when I'm going on camera, just a little bit heavier than my everyday normal makeup because the lights can blow you out a little bit. And so the blush that you put on is not going to look like you have any on if your lights are too bright. And so like with my blush, I added more than I normally would. Like if you saw me out and about, you'd be like, wow, she is made up. <laughs> but, but in you know, on camera, it doesn't come across you know, quite like that. So. And what about for Mike and I, cause we're getting jealous of all this talk. Yeah. So, so the same thing, Mac has a, has great makeup for men and women and really men, the most I see them usually put on is just a powder. And, and basically that's to take away shine so that if you do have a light on you, you know, you're not too shiny in the forehead. If you don't have hair, you're not too shiny on, on the top of your head. And really that's, that's, suffices. So, and that's really, again, I, I think it's personal preference too. If you feel more comfortable without it, then just make sure you have some good lighting and, and you're good to go. You know, I'm interested in the cadence that you use because like mm -hmm. we're used to going from being in front of a live audience where you sort of read off, like it's, you use the space, you know, you want to like move around and connect to people and you, 
like can sort of mirror what you're getting back from them so that your cadence can kind of go along with what the audience is giving you. But we really don't know what our audience is giving us at this point. So I don't know if you if you're if you developed for yourself a more neutral cadence or if it's a part of you that you think works well for as many audiences as possible or if there's something that you would advise working towards when like you you already mentioned this earlier is that there's sort of a heightened normalcy to the way that you speak on camera because of the way it reads on camera is a little flatter mm-hmm. like when you think it's big it's actually medium and when you think it's medium it's actually small yeah. So I guess um, I'm trying to get at like when you are presenting on camera, how much of it do you feel is more neutral, you know, camera neutral and how much of it like has your personality infused into it? That's a really good question. So I definitely think it is, it is my personality heightened for sure. I think that it, it honestly depends on the story that I'm telling as to the way I'm delivering it. Because if it is a sad, somber story, it is going to come across totally different than if I'm out covering a parade or some, something like that. So, so, so that's how I tailor mine. Now I know that for you guys, like oftentimes, you know, the, the story may be similar, right? Yeah. I imagine, I imagine so. I mean, it might be a slightly different audience at different points in time, but the content is not as varied as, you know, a tragedy and a parade. Like it's probably a much narrower mm, window. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's really trying to focus on what has worked consistently across the board for you in the past that you know what they reacted well to. So if you can think back to, I know they really responded to this when I said it this way. Because it is often hard to gauge how people feel when they're on a call like this, because you have to think there's so many distractions. The dog's coming in, the spouse is coming in, the kids are running in and out. You have so many more distractions than you would when you're in a confined setting where all folks have to focus on is you. So that's why... I think thinking back to what worked really well and captivated them in person, hopefully will do the same when they have all these distractions around them. You may have to heighten your personality a little bit more than in person because you don't have the ability to move around. But I mean, have fun with it in the same respect. If you need to go off script, if you feel like, oh, let me just let me just draw something up real quick and, and hold it up. That's so informal and not maybe necessarily planned, but you think in the moment, oh, this would work. I mean, I think people appreciate that too, that you're kind of thinking on the fly and off the cuff to keep them, to keep them interested. And they understand that it's gonna be, you know, a crude drawing or whatever, but you're, you know, you're able to deliver it in a in a different manner. Think about visuals that could work that that aren't in a PowerPoint presentation. I think sometimes those can become so stale. So if there is something that you can hold up or bring in as a prop that is trying to get the point across in a in a metaphor or a simile, you know, type thing, maybe helpful. But um, but that is that is a that's a tough one. That's a tough one when you when you can't gauge that reaction back. I mean, I've been on calls where people are giving, you know, a spiel on a product and you feel like if you were in person with them, you could interrupt them and be like, okay, let's cut to the chase. I just want to ask you this, but you know, they're trying to go through their whole, whole presentation. So that's a tough one. That's a really, really tough one. But I, again, I think I'd just go back to leaning on what has worked well in person before and maybe, maybe trying to beef that up. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And Kristen, when it comes to the, uh, and actually this is where I thought Mike was going when he said cadence, because my mind went in a different direction, but do you, do you play with the tempo in which you speak as a way to emphasize or de-emphasize, you know, are you speeding up, slowing down, getting louder, getting quieter? For sure. So I have to be very, very cognizant of, again, going back to my accent. And so for me, being able to slow down and 
try and, and take out those filler words or how my accent is coming across. It, it forces me to slow down the way that I'm speaking. And also if I speak too fast, I get way too tongue tied because my, my brain and my mouth are just not operating at the same, same level or speed. So I definitely think that it also helps the person listening if you're slowing down and they're able to, to catch what you're saying. So for sure, I speak slower now than I would if I was talking to in person or over the phone, just having a casual conversation. And I also try to, I do this more if I'm like voicing something, but definitely, definitely I try and lower my voice versus mm. bringing it up a higher higher pitch. Why is that? I think that it just, to me, it sounds better to the ear when you are talking up like this. I just think it, in news, we were always taught to bring our voice down versus bringing it up a higher notch because it just, it sounds better for the ear. I mean, I would, there were even reporters who would smoke to lower their voice. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Did you ever have warm-ups before that you would incorporate in terms of if you were going to be on air for a while? Were there things you did to prep? Yeah, so there were there's silly little songs or phrases that I would say over and over again. It's probably not as dramatic as you have probably seen in some movies and things like that. But I did take voice voice lessons when I was in high school, and there were just little sing-songy things that would help help warm up your voice. But it wasn't every time. It was just if I knew that I had a big story and I knew that I wanted to, to hit it really well. Um, I, there was just little things that, that I would do. Mini mumbling mice go dancing merrily in the moonlight, those little things. Um, Chester Cheetah chewed a chunk of cheap cheddar cheese. Um, and then, of course, the, the Peter Piper one, those little things just to make sure, you know, your voice is, is warmed up. And then, of course, drink a lot of water and make sure that your voice is really hydrated. Kristen, are you surprised by the questions we're asking you? Because I think they're probably very reflective of everybody, like the entire world, suddenly being thrust into this situation. So are these things that you once had in your own career? Or have you just kind of learned them over time and they're almost like second nature? So I think I've, yeah, I think I've just learned them over time. I think everywhere I've just picked up little things here and there. And and let me tell you, I'm still learning, like still want to look up best practices for X, Y, and Z. Like what are the industry experts saying about lighting about, you know, what, because the ring light is not that old. Like it has not been around for forever, but man, does it make such a world of difference. And a, a lot of this started when Instagrammers or YouTubers started doing like makeup tutorials or professional video, well, professional, semi-professional videos, like of products, product placement videos and stuff, they would use these, these ring lights. So I think it's really just picking it up here and there and seeing, you know, what works well, because some people could say, oh, this works well for me, but then you try it out and you're like, yeah, I'm not getting that same, same result. So yeah, for me, it's just over time and then continuing to learn. I I love learning new things. Again, like I said, it can get so technical and there's probably a thousand things that I could do with my professional video camera that I have zero clue about. So I think it's just always trying to figure out what's, what's one new thing you could learn today. That's how always how I go through my day. Like at the end of the day, I take an inventory of, did I learn something new today? And if I did, I feel like I've done well because, uh, you know, I think it's always great to just keep learning and, and thinking about how you can perfect a craft and things like that. So, and I think you guys are very lucky in the respect that you kind of already have the delivery down because being in front of people, I mean, that is, that's some folks like worst nightmare. And so getting in front of a camera, like you don't have to worry about, am I, am I doing something weird necessarily like you would in person? You know, you already kind of have the delivery down. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part is actually being in front of a a live audience here, you can kind of just pretend, Oh, I'm telling a story to, you know, my best friend. And that's normally how I think about it. Just, you know, I'm just talking to a best friend and, and, and I was even more lucky when I was in news because you don't see anybody looking back at you, you know, so you could pretend it's anybody out there that you're talking to here. It's a little, you know, a little different because you do have people looking back at you, but yeah, I I think that the experience you guys have like in the field 
is invaluable to translating over to this. And I think you have an edge up because of that. So are there news anchors who are fearful in front of crowds, but like kill it on <laughs> oh, camera? So I had, oh my goodness. So I have to say that I'm not going to say every reporter and news anchor, um, because there are some out there who are extroverts, but for the most part, if you ask a reporter, do you like being in big groups of people? They're going to say, absolutely not. Like I hate, I am, I am an introvert and an extrovert only when I have to be. So I hate being in big groups of people. I hate being the center of attention. If it's just me and another person or a four group, like I'm fine, but get me like in big group. No, thank you. And I think that you'll find that with a lot of people. It was very odd when I got into the business about how introverted we actually are, because you think about it, we have to go up to people sometimes on the worst day of their life and get them to talk Mm -hmm. to us. And that is somebody would say that was extroverted, but, you know, given me the, give, give me the chance. I would, you know, I would say that's not the most fun. Yeah. When you watch news stations and you see other reporters and anchors up there, are you constantly, are you consuming the news or are you just like assessing and cringing and reacting? And I'd be super curious what makes you cringe when you see on-air personalities uh, on air? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, yes, I am taking inventory of what they look like, probably more so than the story, which means that the story has to be really compelling (laughs) to make me look past that. And sometimes I think that it's even better not to have a a, see a reporter on a story um, because you pay attention more to what they're saying than what they look like. My mom would always call me up after she saw a story and she'd be like, oh, you look so pretty. And I'd be like, mom, but the story, like the story had some great content. What about the story? (laughs) And so, so I do think, I think it's human nature that we look at people, how they look, maybe more so than listening to the content. So that's why you have to have some really great, compelling content. But what makes me cringe? Yeah, I think if they're I think if they're playing with their hair too much or just, you know, if it, if it's if it's windy and they're just trying to like keep their, you know, moving their hair back, like that can be really distracting. I I think though, if we're talking specifically like virtual video, it would have to be the ceiling shot. I see so many ceiling shots. Like get the camera, get the, you know, get it set up, get the the ceiling fan out of the shot. I think that that's what bugs me the most. It is interesting, like if you're trying to see something on a screen that somebody's sharing, like people lean in like this and I'll be like, back it up, (laughs) you know, so because the camera is, is a, most of the the cameras are wide angle. So whatever gets closest to it makes it enlarges it that much more. And so I don't want people to see how big my nose is or, you know, whatever. So just trying to keep a good distance. Um, with you, with you and the camera, I would say those are probably the most cringeworthy or again, that, that bright light behind you. That's so distracting. That's, that's annoying. Cause I see that a lot. I think that people have been told outside light is the best, which it, it, it's great, but you really got to know how to, to use it and work it. And if you don't, it can just become distracting. So now I'm going to be super conscious of, I need to move my desk. Cole. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, your screen, you're much darker in your background than everything else. So we need to fix some light in there probably. But it is interesting how much you've mentioned, Kristen, the setup and how much of a impact that has more so than the way you deliver it or other things. So that's one of the biggest things I'm taking away from this is the lighting and what you have around you plays much more into what you think, because I guess it's just, you only see a tiny little picture of me. And so there's other things, you know, to, in the background too. So. Yeah. Cause I think if, if you, if you don't have the setup correct, then that's all people are going to focus on and they can't, they can't hear you because they're so distracted by, you know, what's behind you or, or what you're wearing or, you know, I mean, it's just, you, you really got to be conscious about that for people to be able to actually hear you and and consume the content that you want them to. 
It's interesting you say that because what you brought back to about the anchors are not used to being in a makeshift studio. But I think, you know, you guys could correct me if if you don't feel otherwise, but I don't think the general public notices that. Like when I turn on the evening news and I see everybody, I don't know where they are. You know, from my perspective, they're doing the same job they always have. So you probably notice it from a reporter standpoint, but I think the delivery of it too, there's just something about being confident in front of the camera that they just naturally have no matter where your setup is. And I think that's something all of us as we're all doing this and <laughs> are used to moving around when we're talking, you're going to have to learn to, you know, focus and stay straight and be able to connect to the camera and not, you know, these people over here and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> listeners, it's just remarkable. Kristen has not moved out of her frame on yeah. Zoom. Like maybe her, her mouth moves. Every so often I think the video is stuck, I mean, but it it's is not. Definitely, she blinks. Um, because I, people have pointed out to me when I would be, on camera, um, in the field, I would rock up on my, um, toes really bad. And I had an anchor go, just stop. Like, I mean, she was just so blunt about it. She was like, just stop doing that because not only would my head go out of frame. Right. But she's like, it's so distracting. And I think it's just one of those things where it's just like a filler word. You just become comfortable with it. And that's the way you deal with probably, the stress of being on TV or going live or, you know, not wanting to mess up. And so you, you have that. So I think probably my staying still is because I've been chastised. <laughs> well, and watching yourself, right? Going back to the idea of recording and being able to see, because you, you pick up on these things that you can see for yourself that are distracting and get yourself to stop yeah, doing yeah, them. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's just, we, we also have a saying keep it simple, Sally. You guys may have heard that. You can put make the last S anything. Keep it simple, Sam. Keep it simple, stupid, whatever. But I think that to be able to, to get your point across, just you know, keep it simple. Don't try and throw so much at people uh, at one time. And so that's my hope for you all that you'll get at least a nugget out of this that will be helpful, but still keeping it simple, not throwing so many things. Because I mean, you could get really, really technical if you wanted to about how to make things look perfect or sound perfect and the equipment that you should use or what you should wear, how you should look. I mean, it can get very, very technical, but I think if you just give the basics, people people will figure out what works best for them. Yeah, I, I love the advice for keeping it simple and these things that we can do with lighting and positioning that I think once folks take a little bit of time to get that right, then you just focus on the content and the stunning delivery. And we, yeah, we can all help our communications by employing some of the tips today. So thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Y'all have a great rest of the day. Bye.